Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed this dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate fantasy theme weeks of classic films. And from 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes. Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... His uh, performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi Opus, The Evil Dead. Oh, yes. yes. Fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Oh, Directed by Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of the 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hello and welcome to Best Movies Never Made, a podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Most of the time, the movies you're trying to make don't get made. Like, four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Suddenly the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. This is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. It's Darth Vader. Watch out. And he's got a lightsaber. It's Kenner's new Star Wars action figures, each sold separately. I got you now, Ben Kenobi. With R2-D2 and C-3PO. There's even Chewbacca and Han Solo. Someone's coming, Chewie. Who's there? It's Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker. Now I know the Force is with us. Darth Vader, R2-D2, C-3PO, and other Kenner Star Wars action figures, each sold separately. Or are we? Perhaps we are the <laughs> inglorious Warspurts today. No, I don't know if that's I a word. Like that. I like that. Starspurts? No. <laughs> no, no, no. Warspurts? No. Oh. I don't know. Oh. We're, we're, I guess we're Trexperts with a portfolio. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm very happy because we have, uh, you know, if we're the Trexperts, 
I'm, I know we're not going to call them the war sports, but there is a man who is as well-versed in Star Wars as we are in Star Trek. And of course, I'm talking about none other than our good friend, our 430 movie co-host, the writer of the Clone Wars movie, uh, a writer for Star Wars Rebels, the Clone Wars, as well as uh, Dota Dragon's Blood and one of the producers on the new Magic the Gathering coming to Netflix real soon. Of course, I'm talking about none other than Stephen Melching. I was just on my way to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters, and I found myself... And waste time uh, with your friends on this podcast. Yeah, I was beamed up to waste time. Well, <laughs> today, today's a seminal day in Star Wars history. It is the 45th anniversary of the release of Star Wars. And for you young wow. people... That's not uh, possible. Who, who are, not who are, possible. Who might be confused. I am going to call Star Wars, which you know is Episode Four: New Hope. I'm going to call it Star Wars, because that's... To what we saw in 1977. It was called Star Wars. I still call it Star Wars. It's always going to be Star Wars to me. Um, it just like it's, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark and not Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. So uh, if you're well, confused. It's like, that, it's like that old Billy Joel song. It's always just stuff to me. It's just like that Billy Joel song. Just like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's have some more old references. <laughs> Scenes from the Moss Eisley Cantina. Um I'd like to hear that. You know, I always, I know, you know, he's one of those guys who said when he, he did his last album, he said, I'm done. I'll tour. I'll play the hits, but I'm done doing albums. And he stuck to it. Very yeah. few people in that, in that, you know, I mean, look at the who they went on their farewell tour. What was it? 1982. Yeah. And they've been doing it ever since. <laughs> you hear but, that Rolling Stones? But, 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 uh, but, um, McCartney. But don't knock McCartney. I, I that was a great concert, man. And you know, it's funny because when I was at the McCartney concert, I kept think I couldn't help but think about that time that Gene Roddenberry and Paul McCartney met. And you know, Ron uh, and McCartney wanted Roddenberry to develop a battle of the bands in outer space script. And we 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 thought that bands wouldn't battle in the future. <laughs> they, they would get along, get along together, and find where they where they agreed rather than where they disagreed. See, that's the greatest tragedy of Star Trek, the motion picture, because if, if phase two and Star Trek hadn't come along, Roddenberry needed the money. He was going to write that battle of the band script for Paul McCartney. You know, it's crazy, man. You know, the <laughs> battle of the band shouldn't be battling in space, man. It's all peace and love. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was writing it for Paul, not for Ringo. Oh, right. that's right. <laughs> peace and love, peace and love. Could you imagine in some multiverse right now, people are watching the Gene Roddenberry's, you know, battle of the interstellar bands. You know, I'm, I'm glad we're in our galaxy. <laughs> yeah. In our galaxy. <laughs> well, speaking of our, our galaxies, I'm talking about a galaxy far, far away. Of course, I'm talking about Star Wars and, you know, it's so appropriate because this is a podcast, as we said many times about celebrating the love. And as we know, the Ewoks are all about that too. <laughs> celebrating the love. And uh, so um, after brutally uh, massacring an imperial garrison on Endor right. and, and presumably and eating probably them, eating them yeah. barbecue. <laughs> they're cannibals, aren't they? Well, well not cannibals. They're they're uh, definitely carnivores, however. Mm. <laughs> yeah, all right. Not cannibals. They'd be carnivores. Yeah, yeah that's true. Unless stormtroopers are Ewoks in disguise. <laughs> uh, they two are. Ewoks stacked on top of each other. I'm just disturbed that the Ewoks had a dress Leia's size. <laughs> Where do you think they got that? Probably someone who wasn't a princess, but uh, is lucky. You think uh, maybe they had a 3D printer or something? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, it wasn't made out of bark. 
<laughs> so it was, the, it was the last step, the last last woman. It was on the Endor last movie that, that visited Endor. Wow. <laughs> or the for the fourth moon. That's that's crazy. It's crazy to think about. It's Boy, not the fourth moon. It's Leah, just one. Man. Leah Tell really me. got went through the ringer on that one. First, she got <laughs> dressed up like a Princess of Mars by Jabba the Hutt, running around that yeah. bikini the whole time. What did they call it? What did she call it? Donut and, hat. And then, Mr. And then, Mistress Leia, I'm afraid they, they, he said, "Are you about to size 14? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh. Like, you know, it's really interesting because some Star Trek fans they get very upset when you talk about Star Wars. Star Wars fans get very upset when you talk about Star Trek. There's this kind of phony war between the two, which I never understood because, of course, all three of us are huge Star Trek fans, but we're also huge Star Wars fans. Yeah, and I want to talk about that. You know, I know for everybody who's been complaining, this is a podcast by a bunch of old guy, old dudes talking about growing up in the 70s. Well, guess what? We're going to do it again. We're a bunch <laughs> of old dudes it. talking about growing up in the 70s. Um, but you know why? Because we did, and it was awesome. And you know what? If you want to talk about what it was like growing up in the 90s, do your own podcast. It was That's very right. interesting. I was around the 90s, I can tell you. Wasn't that great? <laughs> Actually, the 90s were pretty good. It was, it was the, the aughts that weren't so great. They, the 90s were good. No wars, Bill Clinton in the White House. It was good stuff, good times. Okay, so it was pretty relaxed. It was pretty chill, the kids say. Okay, so um, let's talk about seeing Star Wars for the first time. Steve, you're a guest, and you're Monday, wrong <laughs> show. So you go first. That's <laughs> very dangerous. You go first. So tell us about the experience of first finding out about what this Star Wars thing was, and then encountering it for the first time. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, as a child of the 70s, uh, I grew up uh, watching Star Trek like you guys. You know, I loved watching uh, the animated Star Trek series and the the, the reruns of the original series, uh, as well as Planet of the Apes and, you know, any other uh, horror, you know, Frankenstein, the universal horror stuff, the Godzilla movies, all that kind of stuff that was on the 430 movie or, you know, the Saturday uh, morning movies. Um, and uh my uh, my family was living in Hawaii uh, at the time uh, in 1977, and um, uh, the first thing I remember ever hearing or seeing about Star Wars was when my my parents showed me a uh, an article in the newspaper that had that picture of uh, C-3PO and R2D2 standing uh, on Tatooine, and uh, and they said, "Hey, this new movie's coming out. Do you want to see it? It's called Star Wars." And I was a very discriminating nine-year-old. I'm like, Star Wars uh, sounds a little corny. Uh, and those robots, I don't know. That one looks kind of like a like a garbage can. And it's like, obviously, a, a person in a suit, in this this metal suit. Like, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't into it, strangely. Uh, and uh, a couple, three weeks later, the, the movie uh, opened in one theater in uh, Honolulu. Uh, it happened to be a 70-millimeter house. And... Uh, uh, my parents bundled up me and my sister and we drove into drove into the city to see it and uh, encountered the longest line we have ever seen for a movie. It literally went around the corner and the uh, the showtime we went to see was sold out. So we had to get in the line for the next showing that would start like almost three hours later and uh, got our tickets and stood on a hot Honolulu sidewalk. <laughs> Uh, for for almost three hours, and and I remember uh, where we were positioned in line. Uh, there was a marquee that had several of the lobby cards from Star Wars uh, on display, including 
uh, one that just seared into my memory, which is that one of the uh, the sand troopers uh, riding the dewback, holding and the that one that lance. wasn't in the movie. Yes, <laughs> holding right. that lance like thing. And I look at I was staring at this thing like that armor looks so cool, and he's like riding like a dinosaur or something. Like I don't know. I Maybe can't I wait to see that scene. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we went and saw the movie, and you know, from that that opening uh, fanfare, I, I my jaw just fell open. I'd never seen or heard anything like that. Yeah, you know, I'd been to the movies before, but never a big seventy millimeter, you know, six track, you know, soundtrack happening with this massive wide screen, and then you know, those two starships flew over camera it was just absolutely mind-boggling you know that's sort of the cliche now right everyone says oh well, you know first the blockade runner goes by but then it was incredible because then the star destroyer but when you think about it what it was like in 1977 talk about spectacle i mean that's up there with the uh, chariot race and ben-hur or any of these legendary moments in cinema because it's purely visual all we hear i mean yeah you have john williams brilliant score but there's no dialogue i mean you have the lasers and everything but it's really about the power of cinema. And it, it, I mean, that was the thing that said, this is not some cheesy, you know, Hangar 18, some kind of nonsense. This is something to sit up and pay attention. Because this movie, there's a man with a vision behind it. And it's, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Oh, it's so powerful. And, you know, we're used to, you know, 1977, you know, we had only had a color TV in our house for a few years at this point. So, yeah, and it was like a 19-inch screen. So you're used to watching, you know, mono television on these tiny screens. Mm. And maybe if you're lucky enough to be able, you know, I, I was dependent on my parents to take me to movies and we weren't a big movie-going family. You know, I'd seen a handful, but seeing an image that big with sound that, that big and intense, yeah. it was just, it was overwhelming. Darren, I never thought about this, but is... Part of the reason that that iconic shot so effective for, you know, having grown up on Star Trek, as much as we love those effects, you know, the, the famous shot we all remember is on the front of making of Star Trek, that great shot of the Enterprise, that low angle shot firing his phasers. Right. But that was a space battle. It was literally like a ship right. firing weapons. They weren't like dodging and ducking and moving and doing much other than the opening credits. And that was like sort of you know so like star wars really like showed us all the stuff that we wish we had seen in star trek in a way sure absolutely it it was uh it was very closely related you know as uh, obviously the people who made star wars were inspired by star trek and things like it uh luke has often said that he would he would watch the episode the episodes uh when they were uh uh shown over and over again and uh uh, both he and Spielberg uh, would, uh, you know, reference uh, episodes together. Um, but I, I think you, you mentioned something about uh, just visual. I think part of the ef uh, effectiveness of that first shot is the sound. In addition to the music, certainly the blockade runner passing over us is unbelievable. And it's more complex than any we've ever heard before. And then... It's it's on top of that that when the Star Destroyer comes over and keeps going and keeps going, not as much as later in Spaceballs, but um, it's it's it uh, dwarfs the other dwarf that we thought was big, uh, and it, uh, it it really sounds it shakes the whole theater. Mm. 
so I think that's that's part of the effectiveness of it. Well, we um, always talk about how groundbreaking George Lucas was. And wasn't this one of the first films projected in Dolby? That's true. That's true. Uh, it, it, it helped uh, it, it helped theaters to upgrade them. Absolutely. And of course, Lucas himself was responsible for upgrading uh, uh, theaters for years to come with THX program. Um, the the thing that uh, the thing that I reacted to when I heard uh, talk about his first thoughts about it was I felt exactly the same way. I my first exposure was the TV commercials, and uh, of course, as a very uh, uh, smart, not yet ten year old, two more months till I was ten, uh, but it was what it was. Uh, it looked silly. <laughs> uh, it looked like they had a monkey uh, flying the ship. And I thought, well, I, you know, I like Planet of the Apes and everything, but I, I don't really don't really respond to that. But, uh, yeah, when I saw it, I was completely uh, bowled over and it was uh, really exciting and and obviously uh, was taken in immediately by it. It's so uh, interesting. There was that- nothing like it. You said the TV commercials. I, I I don't, you know, sort of some of this is lost the vagaries of time. I think I remember coming across the novel because remember this is time when the novel was released like six months ahead of time before the movie came out. I, I remember coming across in a bookstore and saying, oh my God, this movie looks like really cool because there was this big image of Darth Vader on the front and he looked like Dr. Doom. And I like the Fantastic Four and Dr. Doom. And so <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, I, I thought it was... Um, I thought it was really cool. So, um, uh, and another thing to consider about that opening shot is um, Lucas very cannily told the story visually in that you have this little tiny blockade runner, and then you have this dagger-like ship. It's very violent and and scary looking. You know, it just you could just instantly tell that this thing is is dangerous. Yeah. And and let's say something a little bit about the uh, design of the ships themselves. I mean, we just lost today uh, the great Colin Cantwell, who was uh, sort of one of the first people to work on Star Wars. He mm-hmm. he came up with some of those onyx shapes for the uh, ships and uh, a, a lot of the uh, the sort of dynamic, easily, easily recognizable uh, ships came from his uh, original uh, models that he built. Well, it's funny because um, I remember, you know, how how impactful that Ralph McQuarrie art was. And one of the, you know, when I heard about Star Wars and Star Wars came out, I I couldn't see it right away because I wanted to see it on the biggest screen possible with the best sound, and it was not playing in any good theaters in Brooklyn. So it was like about a month or so until I got to see it after it opened because this is the way movies were released back then, even on this a quote unquote wide release at the time. It wasn't all that wide, and so. Um, I, I bought that Starlog with Star Wars on the cover because they were trying to capitalize on this huge success. I'm like, oh my God, Star Wars. And I got the issue with the five and dime or you know, Woolworth or whatever. <laughs> and I open up and there's one page on it. And it, it's those two Ralph McQuarrie images. You know, it's 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 the lightsaber fight. And um, uh, I think uh, it was like two images. And it's like right. basically says nothing. And it was like, that was the cover story. That's and <laughs> I was like, but I, but yet I remember that issue as I'm sure you do so well. And then, you know, before, you know, many decades before YouTube or anything, 
you know, you're so desperate to, to anything to do with Star Wars. So there were all these tie-in cash-in magazines, uh, and I bought them all, you know, and there was like a lot of them. They were like one-shots, and they were like issue number one. There was never a number two, but they were yeah. all like, you know, with all these pictures and behind-the-scenes stuff about Star Wars. And well, you know, we were voracious in terms of consuming that. Of course, the great rift between Cinefantastique and Lucasfilm happened then as well. Yes, that's true. Because yeah. uh, they did a complete uh, issue on Star Wars and used all these photos that they didn't necessarily have the rights to use. And uh, I guess uh, Charlie Lippincott was really pissed off at this. And uh, Lippincott, of course, was the uh, publicist for uh, Lucasfilm. And... Uh, they were really pissed off at them and uh, pretty much closed off relations with, with them Forever. for a while. Yeah. They never cooperated again with Cine yeah. Fantastic. And speaking of Cine Fantastic, Darren, I didn't realize that you're the guest editor on the first issue of the new Cine, Cine Fantastic magazine um, on 2001. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's uh, It was an honor to uh, help put that together. And uh, I'm uh, very excited for the relaunch of uh, such an iconic magazine. Yeah, I mean, I'm really impressed with what Taylor's doing. I mean, he's really, uh, you know, bringing it back uh, to what it was in the early days, you know, where obviously he's not beholden to newsstand sales. And, uh, um, you know, really uh, with the classic... Uh, covers and and in-depth deep dives and it's it's very exciting so hats off yes. to him for absolutely for that. um i don't think he'll make much money on it but uh, for all of us who care about that it'll be very satisfying and, and exciting but so okay so so well, what, what about you mark your <laughs> uh, initial uh story about watching it i mean you 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 said you you uh, went on, but uh, what, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, my react? parents knew I was desperate to see, it. and of course, that was because, as you know, you I was a huge Star Trek fan, you know, and we all watched Space 1999 as we've talked about because it was yeah. as close to Star Trek as you could get. It was the only right. thing that had space. The only new it. thing, yeah. So we all convinced ourselves man. it was good, yeah. yeah. And so now there was going to be the space. I mean, a star in the title, right? That's right. Cool. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pre Star Trek, Star Wars, and. All the right. Trek, you know, like Aaron de Murthy, that was about Star Wars. That would be so. This sounds and, good. And from that moment on, our parents didn't know the difference between. Yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> um, so it was really great because um, my parents knew how excited I was. And, uh, so, you know, one day we we're going on this uh, out to well, out to New Jersey, which was really far from Brooklyn. It was like quite a hike, um, you know, over the Verrazano Bridge through Staten Island or George Washington. I don't remember. So we're in like Paramus Park and. Uh, I remember we, we passed this giant marquee that says the other side of midnight and Star Wars. I'm like, oh my God, Star Wars is playing there. Star Wars, we gotta go. And they're like, no, 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 we don't have time for that. I'm like, we don't have time. And we, I don't know what we do. So we went to Farrell's ice cream and we had um, ice cream, delicious ice cream, hamburgers, whatever. It was a delicious meal at, at Farrell's. And um, and I never been to Farrell's and I really enjoyed it. I couldn't imagine we went all the way to New Jersey to go to Farrell's. It's like oh, we had to do shopping for camp or something, I, I, right. something for clothes or whatever. Because guys, and so uh, so we start driving back, and then as we're driving back, we pull into the lot where Star Wars is playing this giant parking lot. And I'm like, hmm. what? What are we doing? And we're going to Star Wars. I'm like, what? No way! <laughs> and and so we pull in, and uh, they tricked you. They tricked me, <laughs> and we got to see in 70 millimeter, you know, great theater in New Jersey, the duplex, and uh, Paramus at Paramus Park, and uh, and and I got to see Star Wars, and it was so thrilling. It was so thrilling. The whole experience, you know, that my parents knew it was really important. They planned this whole thing, and um, 
my brother came. He actually, you know, his favorite movie of all time is like Slapshot, right? He doesn't like the shit we like. He likes to make fun of the shit we like. But he, at the same time, really likes Star Wars. So um, uh, it was a, it was just a great, great experience. And of course, the first of many, many times seeing the movie. And, and in fact, all three of us are going to be seeing Star Wars again uh, on Tuesday at the Academy uh, yep. Motion Picture Arts and Sciences here in L.A., where they're going to be screening the film, which is very exciting because uh, it's a chance uh, to see it on the big screen again, which you don't often get with that film because it doesn't really and, play in uh, repertory much. And it's not the special edition. Well, that's the rumor, isn't it? I'm so excited. It's what they say. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. That's what I heard. And my son, who is a bigger Star Wars fan than I now, he cannot wait because he hates the special edition. And I, I've only shown, you know, I show him the despecialized edition. And so he's so excited because he's never seen it on the big screen in its original unscrewed up form. Well, <laughs> that's an interesting thing because I, 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 I don't know about you two, because it used to sounds like you saw it in, in reasonably good theaters uh, the first time. That wasn't my <laughs> first time. My was in a, uh, a, Dinky little multi-screen uh, theater in uh, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, uh, called the Wyoming Valley Mall Theaters. Tiny screen, you know, maybe maybe twenty feet across, maybe. Um, but it was uh, it was a crappy theater, and I, I saw it about two weeks after it opened, so the print was terrible. And it was uh, scratchy, it uh, gurgly. Um, it was, you know, everything that we remember, lousy, uh, lousy uh, prints that were present presented back then. Because film never looks good two weeks after it opens. Uh, it's just, it's just not going to happen. So it's, um, it's great because you, it can only get better from there. <laughs> And I, 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 there was a release a couple years ago by this uh, group who were, uh, you know, restoring the uh, original version of Star, uh, Star Wars on their, uh, on their own. Uh, and they left it as a sort of a, uh, a, a dirty print. And I watched it. I went, that's what I like. That's exactly what it was like. It isn't pristine. It isn't cleaned up. It's just kind of janky. And it was just fine. Because it reminded me of of my first time. <laughs> ah, that's funny. Well, be, you know, also because it's that kind of universe, unlike Star Trek, which is pristine and clean. Exactly. The Star Wars exactly. was a dirty, worn, old universe, lived in universe. You know, which was another genius thing about George Lucas when he conceived of this. You know, because it all started with his desire to, you know, do a Flash Gordon movie. But you know, the fact that he said this is a lived-in universe. You know, where everything isn't new and pristine and, you know, this is the way it would be. And that he, he applied like that whole, you know, because, of course, THX 1138 was that pristine futuristic dystopian world. Whereas America, he, he, he instead looked at something like American Graffiti for, for, for Star Wars. And it's so effective. I mean, you know, look, uh, both Star Trek and Star Wars are the product of true visionaries who stuck to their guts, you know, and. People can criticize Gene, you know, for a lot of things, but it doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, he conceived of something that no one has done better than him, you know, right. and with his, you know, with Bob Justman and Gene Kuhn and DC Fontana. And, you know, with Lucas, it's kind of similar, 
you know, absolutely. You have George, and no one's done it better than sort of him and Gary Kurtz and that original team of people on Marshall Lucas and Paul Hirsch. And so, um, well, and nobody really wanted to make that movie to begin with, you know, right. he was lucky to get it made at Fox. And I don't know if any many people really believed in that project. And, you know, George famously, you know, uh, he, he, he likes to say making that first movie almost killed him. <laughs> it was so difficult trying right. to marshal all those forces. And you can only imagine what he was going through in the desert in Tunisia and all those the robots are breaking down and the weather is screwing things up. And he, he must've felt like the whole world was crashing down around yeah. him. And this yeah. whole thing was going to be a disaster. Well, absolutely. He, but the, the, the other, the other thing is, is that he had a, uh, an absolute uh, amazing person behind him in Alan Ladd Jr. Mm-hmm. Who was running Fox at the time. Um, Alan Ladd Jr., uh, known as Laddie to uh, to everybody, um, really trusted Lucas's uh, ability, and he he later said that he he didn't really understand at all. He didn't really see the movie was going to be made, but he trusted Lucas's uh, abilities and intuition and taste, and he let him do it. He he fought hard battles with the uh, with the Fox board to let this thing happen after everyone thought it was uh, it was not going well. Uh, but here's so- the crazy thing. You know, a lot of people, you know, I'm sure we've all done mentorships where we talk, you know, passed down what we learned. They all, they all think, oh, if I only have one big success, I've written my meal ticket in this business. Now, look at George Lucas. He makes American Graffiti, one yeah. of the most successful movies of all time, of all time, huge Right. Universal won't bankroll his next movie. Yeah. Fox barely does this movie. And remember, he was doing it for next to nothing. He's doing a huge sci fi movie for, I think he was trying to convince him he could do it for nine, right? Or whatever. You know, and it was like, and and at every step of the way, they're fighting him. This is a guy who has had a huge hit. It's not even like some guy trying to make their first movie. It's a person trying to make their right. first movie. So it's a miracle. And yeah, you know, Lad had his back, but Lad answered to the board. And it's funny for anybody who's watching that off that awful but wonderful <laughs> offer. You see the same thing with The Godfather. You know, yeah. Coppola, um, who wins an Oscar for Patton. You know, he's riding high, top of the world screenplay. Yeah. Uh, what I say? I said for, for Patton for the screenplay. Yeah, for the screenplay. So, it, question, you know, uh, uh, you know, looking to fire him, looking to get rid of him every yeah. step of the way, you know, and our good friend Nick Meyer, even, you know, he does a terrific movie at time of time, not a huge hit, but even there, they're making Star Trek for next to no money. He almost gets fired, you know, because, you know, there are people who have it out for him too. And it's just like, there's no, suddenly, you know, things don't change. Yeah. You know, can, can you imagine sitting in a, a studio theater watching an assembly cut of Star Wars or, you know, a, a rough cut of Star Wars with, you know, World War II dogfight footage cut in and, you know, uh, David Prowse yeah. speaking Darth Vader's dialogue through that mask and his horrible accent and barely yeah. being able to and understand. Ten score. No Ben Burt sound effects. You know, it, it must have looked like it was going to be an absolute fiasco. Well, and then you have your friends who you supposedly are there. You think you're going to support you. And, you you know, they're all fucking, they're all telling you, you know, Brian De Palma, 
tell this terrible, just, you know, basically saying it's unreleasable. You know, what the rumor goes that it was Spielberg, or the story goes, I should say, Spielberg right. and Jay Cox were the only one who could see through the, the temp score and the temporary effects and yeah. the, the, you know, the, the, you know, what, how much work needed to be done could see that there was something special here. Everyone else it's like Scorsese is like, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, that that's one of the reasons why uh, Luca um, worked with Spielberg later is because Spielberg said, this is going to be huge. Right. And they, so, they famously traded points on their movie because everyone thought Close Encounters was going to be the huge hit that year. Right. I know that's such a great story that when they were in Hawaii, they traded points and he gave them the points on Star Wars and he gave them up the points in Close Encounters. Lucas made a fair amount on Close Encounters because that was a huge success, but nothing like <laughs> Star Wars. And of course, you know, on one of their famous Hawaii vacations, uh, you know, Spielberg said, I really want to direct a James Bond movie, but they won't let an American do a James Bond movie. I got, he says, I got something better than James Bond. And he pulls out his uh, Phil Kaufman's Ray's Lois Dark uh, uh, story. Indiana Jesus. Smith. Indiana right. Smith. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so so Star Wars, Star Wars debuts in 1977. Lines are out of the box. There's such a hunger. And if you look at the way that Charlie Lippincott and Craig Miller promoted Star Wars, that owes such a debt to Star Trek. The way that the fan conventions... And that, you know, uh, especially in the 70s, all these fanzines and products that were just being created by the fans out of their passion, out of their love, you know, and all these conventions that were happening. And, and there was a proving, there was an audience. It was these, these sort of kind of smart, uh, well-educated, creative people who love sci-fi who would be an audience for that. For, you know, a year and a half, two years, they went around with virtually nothing to show you know, a little chutzpah, you know, some artwork and uh, buttons and stuff, Some later on some costumes, and convince right. people that they should uh, um, see this movie. And, and remember, the, uh, the novel, novelization, uh, came out, what, what was it, months before the movie? Six or months. Six months. Yeah. Six six months. months. Um, and the whole thing was there <laughs> in print, and uh, no one knew. No, no one, one understood. No one. It, it, it snuck in there. It snuck into bookstores. And maybe, you know, a couple people picked it up and said, oh, soon to be, I guess. Okay, good luck. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, right. yeah. but it, it's, it's astonishing. See, mine is not that first edition. Yeah, mine it's not says, the first edition. Now, a spectacular science right. fantasy adventure from 20th Century Fox. Oh, you're right, Darren. Science fantasy adventure. That's right. Science fantasy, not science fiction. Oh, look at Steve. Steve got the... Christine. <laughs> Christine edition. I yeah. found this in a used bookstore in Colorado Springs wow. for like a dollar. Yeah, but this got stills from the movie. You know? Uh, yeah. The yeah, greatest one, SF movie this ever. This one doesn't. <laughs> That's right. No, it's, it's crazy, though, because on the next film, uh, everyone was clamoring for any information on it. Well, and, well, you know, yeah. how, what, a, what a difference years makes when uh, this sneaks under the radar for so many people and uh, it just explodes immediately. Well, I've told uh, that story on 430 movie on Empire Strikes Back. How I was in uh, junior high school and this punk kid who I won't even mention <laughs> his name, it's like Valdermont, he who should not be named, shows me the, the Marvel super special. So oh, you just got to look at this. I'm like, what? Because uh, you just read this one thing. And he says, I, I am your father. And I'm like, 
did, you know, it was a week before the movie opens. And I'm like, I wanted to kill him. I want to kill him. I still want to kill him. It's 40 years later. I still want to kill Lance. Son of a bitch. Ruin the, the, ruin the greatest twist since Rosebud. Jerk. I got to calm down. <laughs> no, but you, you know, you were saying this this movie kind of came out of nowhere for most people. Like, yes, yes, like you were saying, there were people that were in the know, the the, the convention goers, the people who went to the convention. They they knew that this was coming, and and some of them were excited about it, and and they certainly drove business uh, the first few days. But it, it caught on very quickly, and and this was in the days when a hit movie would stay in theaters for months yeah, and months. Yeah, and right. I, I remember it migrated from that one theater in Honolulu uh, to smaller theaters around the island. So I, I was able to see it several more times that year. I mean, it played for a full year. Oh, yeah. yeah. How many times did you go back? And it was funny because, you know, we were doing our documentary in 1982. And one of the top movies of 1982 was Star Wars <laughs> because, it, you know, every couple of years it would get, re-released right so yes. it was re-released in fact that was the year it came out on home video right. so um you know which is many years after its original release in theaters it was you know came out in 77 it doesn't come out on home video until 82 and you know it was still playing in theaters and that was only for uh, rental that there was used only to for be there used to be several tiers of uh qualities of theaters <laughs> uh and most remember that because they're all sort of the multiplex now but uh there was a the low tier of theaters, which charged like maybe a buck and movies would, you know, play for a while in the bigger theaters. Then they'd go to the medium sized theaters and then they'd wind up in the theater chains and they would stay for, you know, a, a couple months at a buck, a buck a ticket. I want to extrapolate on that for you, yeah, go ahead. because for our audience, some of which will either relate or, or other people who'd be like, really? Because <laughs> what it was like was, you know. To think now that we have reclining chairs, you can <laughs> order food to your seats. You can reserve exactly the seat you want because stadium the reason, seating. The reason yeah. movies were called blockbusters were because they had lines around the block. And with Star Wars, you, know, you couldn't just call. You call an answering machine. It would tell you the times that it was playing. And you know, if it was a popular movie, you would show up before the showtime for the movie before the showtime to get online in the hopes that they wouldn't sell out your showtime and buy the tickets and sit down. Mark, point of order, Mr. Altman. I don't think that's why they call them blockbusters. They call them blockbusters because the blocks of booking that the studios would, would give to theaters were broken when they wanted to keep the popular movies running through. So they would they would break those uh, schedules up and they would move them to other sections. Well, you're going to have to take that up with Scott Mance because Scott well, Mance was the one who said they were called blockbusters. I, you know what? I, I always heard Mark's definition also, but Darren, I've never heard this. But Darren's this makes, makes a lot more of sense. sense. Yeah, yep, I agree. I, I tend to believe that's Darren. how I learned it. That's how I learned it. So <laughs> I think the, the more complicated uh, business uh, reason makes more sense than the the uh, blockbuster was. But anyway. Else? Anyway. <laughs> but these, these, yeah, like they're these second run houses would play. You know, Darren says it'd be a buck, which in context is probably about a third of the price of a of a first yes. run movie. Yes. You might pay three dollars when it comes out, but six months later you can see it for a dollar. Yeah. Yep. They were all a duplexes or single plexes. There were yeah. no six. I mean, there were, but there there weren't many. Very rare. Very, very because rare. remember, the older the older theaters were only big enough for one screen. Yeah, and, and sometimes uh, 
I remember, you know, walking uh, on my on my way to school in, uh, you know, second and third grade, uh, passing by the Mora Theater in Elizabeth, New Jersey. It would have all these uh, last run uh, movie titles. And I remember when Star Wars showed up, I went, oh, my goodness, to watch these and <laughs> and uh, and, uh, you know, uh, maybe maybe be able to get a buck from the folks and go see it. Maybe. Well, but, the worst uh, thing that happened was when they started carving up these uh, duplexes and making them six oh, yeah. and fourplexes. And they would just like drop like a, 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 a curtain drop or a, a wall, thin in wall between, wall. between yeah. the two. And then you would hear the movie in yeah. the theater next door. Yeah. Because movies really, I mean, theaters had to get to a really bad place before they were reinvented. Because yeah. really, in the last 10, 15 years, movie theaters have gotten really good. That's why I don't mind paying the ridiculous prices because. I feel like when I can sit on a chair that pivots and does things and, you know, order food to my seat or at least just even be able to pick my own seat and not have to wait for hours to get the good seat and wait online. The ability to pick your own seat has been the best thing and maybe also the worst thing. <laughs> because just, the act of waiting in line with other people mm. and getting really excited to see this movie and sharing that excitement with everybody in line. Uh, was really a, an experience yes. that is gone. Mm-hmm. And, well, and you met like-minded individuals uh, be, before Absolutely. podcasts. That's how you would meet your tribe. <laughs> you would be online with people who Back were Back in my day, ready. podcasts were lines. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just imagine sitting in your favorite theater today, and if it's a stadium seating, flatten it out. <laughs> so you've yep. got a, a, a very gradual rake to the seating. So if somebody tall sits in front of you, you're screwed. You're, screwed. you're kind of looking around. And then imagine not that, my problem that they put a wall down the middle of it. So suddenly you're in these long, narrow theaters yeah. with these little screens at the far end. That's yeah. that's yep. what it was like. Well, nothing was worse than like the Beverly Center where they literally had columns Oh, in, 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 like in the theater, right. in like you couldn't them. see around, you know, blocking the screen. Yeah. It's like, what the hell? Whose idea was this? Because that was another theater that they just divided up into, you know, multiple theaters. It was ridiculous. Okay. But here's what I want to ask Steve about, because this is exciting. Look, you know, Darren, <laughs> Darren and I have been very excited. We, we've got to touch the creator. You know, Darren got to work with um, Robert Wise and, and bring the Star Trek, the motion picture edition screen, which is for a, a diehard Star Trek fan, amazing. You know, I got to, to work with uh, Bill Shatner on my first movie. Amazing, you know, to have that opportunity. And to, uh, I, you know, to this day, I consider him a friend. But Steve, as a diehard Star Wars fan, you have had your name on a Star Wars one sheet, the Clone Wars movie. Um, you have worked on canon, Star Wars canon. You've worked with some legendary figures in the Star Wars universe. What has that been like for you as a fan, you know, turned professional, turned, you know, to be, you know, plumbing the fields of that universe? Plowing, well, plumbing. I mean, obviously it was a, a dream come true as, you know, as a kid growing up, I was a, a Star Trek fan, but a much bigger Star Wars fan. And I had all the posters on my wall and all the action figures and everything. And you know, I, I still do. I still have action figures here in my office. But um I remember when the uh, that the Gendy Tartakovsky Clone Wars cartoon came out, the micro series uh, around the time of uh, bef- 
Revenge of the Sith was coming out, feeling really disappointed that I didn't get to work on that show because like I, I was at a certain point in my career in animation that like I felt like maybe I was at a high enough level to be a part of something like that. And and it was, you know, I, I wasn't part of it, but it was really cool to see. I, I watched it with great excitement. And uh, and then a few months later, uh, my agent calls and says they're going to do a, another Clone Wars series. And the producer, Catherine Winder, wants to meet, is meeting with people in L.A. this week. I'm like, great. <laughs> so I went and had coffee with Catherine and we talked for a couple hours and um, I didn't get the job. And I was super disappointed. And um uh, but I, I wrote to Catherine and thanked her for meeting with me and and uh, said I was very much, you know, looking forward to watching the show. I'd love to work on the show as a freelance writer if there's an opportunity. But uh, otherwise, you know, I'll be tuning in and, and good luck. And um, thankfully, that was a, a wise approach uh, because I, I, I think they, they realized that I was someone that they they liked and trusted and um I, I got contacted by Henry Gilroy, who was the the head writer that they did hire for the show, and he asked for some writing samples, and he liked what he read, and and I got hired to to write a freelance script, and um, and met with Henry and with Dave Filoni, who was the supervising director and kind of the one of the other main guiding forces of that show, and uh, got along with Dave really well, and uh, did a good job on my first script, and they just kept hiring me for more scripts. And I ended up writing more scripts than anyone else aside from Henry uh, in that, in that first season and uh, being flown up to, to San Francisco to, to work at the ranch at Skywalker ranch for a couple of weeks directly with, uh, with Dave and Henry and, and uh, you know, in proximity to George Lucas, <laughs> the maker, I saw him a couple of times, but I have never to this day actually met George. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've, you know, received notes from George and, and you know, he's rewritten my stuff and I've rewritten his, his stuff. And uh, and it was just a wonderful experience uh, and that which continued into Star Wars Rebels, where I got to be a, a bigger part of the team and come on as a, a story editor for a couple of seasons. And and help craft the season long story arcs with, uh, with Filoni again and, and Henry and, and some of the other uh, producers uh, there. And uh, we do these writing retreats up at Skywalker ranch where we're staying on the ranch property for several nights. And, you know, it's absolutely wonderful. Did you ever uh, sit around the campfire at the ranch and, uh, and tell stories about uh, uh, ghosts we had this one writer oh my god why am i blanking on his name uh he was a super cool dude uh he was one of our our uh writers on rebels and uh, he had the best stories and you're never quite sure how much he was bullshitting you but he had all kinds of great stories about ghosts and death and flying saucers and stuff. And we would sit up late at night in the uh, in the bunkhouse there around the fire and he would spin these yarns uh it was fun but what, what's the takeaway from what Steve just told us for you aspiring writers? Dignity, always dignity. Because <laughs> yeah. Steve didn't go like, oh, fuck them. You know, they didn't hire me. Just a bunch they, of jerks. The hell with them. They don't know anything about Star Wars. They should have I'm going to go me. in and fix it because George screwed it up with the prequels. I know how to put it right. So what does Steve do? He was a class act. And uh, it led to, to, a, to a lot of work. You know what? He embraced what he loved. He celebrated the love. He didn't bash on what he didn't like. Accentuate the positive. Accentuate the positive. So good for him and, <laughs> and had a very happy ending. And, you know, uh, and that's why he's going to be, uh, uh, you know, show running the Better Call Saw about Saw Guerrera. 
uh, series from uh, <laughs> Disney. No, oh my God. no, he's not. But he could. <laughs> if there was something, he could. <laughs> I'm ready for that. I'm ready for Better Call Saw. Um, but uh, Steve, Steve's done such wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work on the show. Why do you feel, I mean, these shows are so different. I mean, you know, obviously Lucas has talked about Star Wars, um, the influence of Joseph Campbell. Star Trek doesn't tap into mythology. If anything, Star Trek is very contemporary. And when I say contemporary, contemporaneous with the times that it's made, tapping into the politics and um, uh, sociology of the time that the shows are being created. So it's so, so little in common other than the fact they both are in space and that no ship that small has a coping device. But um, <laughs> so um, what, what, what is it that, that, that we constantly find this yin yang, black and white, let that be your last battlefield. Star, Star Wars is black on one side, Star Trek is white on the other. I mean, what the hell? Well, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll speak more from the Star Wars side in that I, I always felt Star Wars always seems more from the emotional side of things, more of the visceral side of things. And where you should not. For my ally is the Force. And the powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you, here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Yes, even between the land and the ship where Star Trek always felt more, uh, and I'm talking about classic Star Trek, that certainly changed, uh, I think, as a result of the influence of Star Wars. Uh, mm -hmm. But Star Trek has always struck me as a more of a, a, an intellectual, uh, I mean, it, it certainly had passion to it, but it was more thought-provoking and more intellectual, whereas Star Wars is about a, a visceral experience, emotional experience. But that said, Star Trek's better, right? I love them both. No, it's not, I think I think they're they're both they're both related in that they are sort of modern retelling of myth. In that uh, Star Trek is you know it's sort of like the Odyssey. Mm. You know, it, it, they're they are going to these strange places and these strange uh, occurrences, and you have a definitive hero uh, in in the show. And Star Wars is is retelling mythology, but it's it's going a, a roundabout way because it's retelling uh, Westerns and war movies are in turn retelling mythology. So it's sort of a, a couple steps away from directly telling the uh, myth stories. So, But in both cases, it's sort of encasing these uh, tales in carbonite in a in, <laughs> in carbonite in a new in a brand new shell or sometimes a lived in shell uh, that uh, makes it of more appealing to uh, kids who didn't know the difference. Yeah. No, my father didn't fight in the wars. He was a navigator on a spice freighter. That's what your uncle told you. He didn't hold with your father's ideals, thought he should have stayed here and not gotten involved. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. And what's so interesting is we used to say, well, Star Wars was a TV, Star Trek was a TV franchise, Star Wars was a movie franchise, right? So they were very different. But now that, that, that seems to have changed in the sense that um, 
Star Wars has really embraced television in a big way, obviously, with a lot of the new shows. And um, and uh, Star Trek, uh, Star Trek's done some movies too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because I think that I think that for both of them to survive this, uh, you know, grand shift in uh, how people entertainment, uh, I think they need to evolve, um, and I think that they need to find a different way of gaining their audience because I think both audiences have have been uh, sort of chopped up into mini audiences mm-hmm. um, and and there's not uh, there's not one offering from either franchise that is you know as vast a, uh, a fan base as they used to so I think that it's going to have to uh, there's be some shifts if they are both to survive at their at their maximum levels what was interesting because, of course, Kathleen Kennedy was interviewed for Vanity Fair. You know, that's the kind of stuff that used to be in Starlog. Now it's yeah. in Vanity Fair, right? Well, so the, um, the cool kids have taken over the Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like table. crazy. So she was talking about how the saga needs to evolve beyond the Skywalker saga, which, you know, which is really, you know, obviously we hold these truths to be self-evident, right? That uh, um, Star Wars needs to grow beyond, you know, those nine films, you know, to tell broader stories. It's this really rich universe with uh, great care, you know, and, 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 you know, in a way, I think you could make the same case for Star Trek because whether or not you like these new shows or don't, um, they're all uh, so mired in this mythology of the past, you know, not the Skywalker saga, but the, um, you know, Captain Pike or Spock or, or, or um, Captain Picard, where are the new stories, the new characters, the new, New world, strange new, strange new worlds, for lack of a better expression. Um, why do we keep going back to ground that has been tread before? Um, and it's the same thing with Star Wars. So, um, but you know, it's funny because is can you market that without that hook? You know, it's yes. like, oh, Luke's going to show up, or <laughs> you know, or we're going to recast Captain Kirk, or look to best when when they've tried to do these different things that aren't what we're used to. It's not as, as easy to get the audience in there, honestly. It's, uh, and the, uh, the shows aren't as widely uh, talked about or you know, necessarily enjoyed by the audience as much. Um, so yes, the you know, Discovery is out there and has brand new characters and everything, um, but that's not the point. It, it didn't get as much attention as Picard did when he just showed up. It's, it's, a, it's a fine edge. Uh, to try and tread on when you're saying, you know, we must uh, get past the original stuff. Well, no one's paying attention to stuff that isn't from the original. But it's stuff. interesting because even with Discovery, whether you like it or not, whatever the people's opinions are on the show, um, they still made it about Spock, right? Ultimately, she's Spock. Spoiler alert: Spock's yeah. sister or whatever. And um, you know, so that again, t- and then they brought in these characters from the Cage in the second season. That's so. True there's that inability to, you know, escape. And I think one of the great things that Gene Ronberry did um, in, in, with Next Generation is he said, I'm jumping ahead 75 years. It's a totally new crew, has nothing to do with the original show. Maybe eventually one day we'll pay a homage, but it's a completely, 
The only thing we're keeping is the Enterprise. It's a, it's a totally new Enterprise, but we're going to have new characters, and basically we're going to stick to the format that we have, but it's going to be a new ship, new characters. That seems yeah. to have worked out okay, right? Now, Star Wars, um, you know, we've yet to get to that point, and yet it does seem like when somebody like Ryan Johnson comes and tries to see how elastic the formula is, there's a lot of pushback from people like, oh, my God, he's he's changed Luke. Luke's too different. He's, 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 he's embittered. He's not the, the hero that we love so much. You know, um, well, it's it's very much like the Star Trek, the motion picture god. Mm. That, well, we aren't seeing our the, these characters the way we're used to. Well, yeah, because it's a different story. The point of it is to get them back to where, where they were. Right. The point is to show you how they have changed since you saw them last. And then we come back to where you're comfortable with them. And that's kind of what Ryan Johnson was doing with The Last Jedi. Yeah. Uh, and that that was a line that we had to tread in the Star Wars animation, where it, whereas in the Clone Wars, we were telling stories oftentimes with what what, you know, what they call the legacy characters, you know, your Anakin Skywalker, your Obi-Wans, your Mace Windu, all, all the movie characters. Um, but in Star Wars Rebels, we took a, a, a different approach. And, and I think it, it, it wasn't as successful initially. And I think part of that had to do with the show being on uh, Disney XD, uh, a cable channel that wasn't widely available, so mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't get to see it. But in that show, they uh, the, the developers of the show, I think, very wisely created a new core cast of original characters that uh, would be the the central to that series. And mm-hmm. it took place in a time period that we were somewhat familiar with, uh, that in-between period between the, the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. So a lot of the visuals and the references... Uh, felt familiar it was a familiar universe that they were in but the characters while archetypes uh, were were original characters and then yeah. we, could, we could cross them from there time to occasional, time yeah occasional yeah. intersection with the characters that we, we brought in princess leia for one episode darth vader appeared a couple of times Tarkin, you know, Tarkin, r2d2 so you know a lot of the characters lando calrissian a lot of them admiral, would make admiral snack bar <laughs> a lot of them would appear from time to time uh, and often voiced by the actors that played them yeah. in the movies. You know, Billy D. Williams did Lando and, and James Earl Jones did Darth Vader and Anthony Daniels did C-3PO, and, you know, uh, which was really cool. But we, and we brought in Ahsoka Tano from the Clone Wars who uh, became a guest character and, and Rex, uh, the, the clone character, who started crossing characters from Clone Wars. But we were always very careful to make the series about the original characters, the yeah. new characters, so that yes. the audience would grow to love them. Sure. Um, and they did because it's a great yeah. show. And now, obviously, it's providing the sort of mythology for the Ahsoka TV series and, um, you know, partially some. some That's going to be fascinating. And, you know, we've already seen Ahsoka transition into into the live action world. Mm-hmm. It'll be fascinating to see, you know, Grand Admiral Thrawn in live action. And, Absolutely. you know, Sabine and you know, potentially other Ezra, other characters from animation. Yeah, it's so it's so cool. And I think they've done a good job of taking those animated characters and um, transitioning them to to uh, live action. That's why and I'm I, still holding out for Mr. Eric's. Well, I love Mr. Eric's. I'm really looking forward to uh, Billy D. Williams returning in the Landalorian. <laughs> Hey, well, I got to ask you, I know since this it was is no- the way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little, you see him going up to Baby Yoda. It's like, uh, surely you belong with us here amongst us. How you doing, Baby Yoda? <laughs> <laughs> Where's Baby Yaddle? <laughs> <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> 
<laughs> Where's baby yell? Um, so I got to ask you because it was no uh, new. We, we it was a holiday weekend, Memorial Day weekend, so there was no new four thirty movie this week. So it's only appropriate that we um, we play a little four thirty movie, mini four thirty movie. But ask you about your favorite Star Wars movie. Now I, I think the problem with asking you just about uh, you know everybody's just Empire, very boring, right? So I want to I want to break it up by original prequels and sequels because it's not fair to compare apples and oranges and uh, you know, um, uh, you know, in this, in this, I was going to try and come up with some kind of Star Wars fruit, but I didn't, I couldn't think of one. So, uh, <laughs> and Melu run. Oh, thank you, Steve. So, I was like, yeah, <laughs> clearly I'm a drink fruit, not a wood Um, so I want to, I want to ask you, we'll start with, I think we'll start, let's start with the sequels and work our way up to the original. I'm going to ask you, you all, um, your favorite Star, Star Wars sequel. So, we're going to go to Monday and, uh, Steve Melching. Uh, what, uh, what's your favorite of the three sequels? The sequels, the sequels. Uh, well, that's an easy choice for me. The last Jedi, uh, Ryan Johnson's, uh, film. I know that is a very contentious film in the fan community. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I was not particularly impressed with the force awakens. So I, I went into last Jedi, uh, kind of skeptical and, uh, I, I thought it looked amazing. Uh, and I and it surprised me in good ways in in ways that I didn't think a Star Wars movie could surprise me anymore. So I I really like the Last Jedi. Tuesday, Darren Doctorman. I I have to go with the Last Jedi as well because uh, I think that uh, that that the couple reels are really good, and uh, I think that uh, uh, you know no matter what you think about what he did with Luke Skywalker at the beginning of the movie. I think the Luke Skywalker at the end of the movie is uh, everything I wanted. And I thought he was, and, uh, more. He was, <laughs> and more, no, <laughs> I, I, I thought, I thought he, I thought that was very cool. And uh, you know, the, the middle of the movie is a little, is a little goofy and the secondary uh, stories is uh, I, I'm not really engaged in, but uh, I, I think that the thrust of the movie uh, right with a lightsaber right through him um, is, uh, <laughs> is uh, really well done. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm, I'm. Uh, we have a you know uh, unanimous decision here. It, I feel the same. Way. I feel the same way. I think uh, Last Jedi by by far is the best of those prequels. And uh, you know, and we'll look with the caveats that obviously the Canto bite stuff is awful, and um, the slow motion chase is ridiculous. You know, slow motion chase in space. But um, Ryan Johns, that opening sequence with the with the, the bombing, the World War Two. Uh, bombing of the uh, is fantastic, and Steve Yedlin's uh, cinematography is gorgeous. The yeah. the fight with Snoke is is great. I mean, there's so many great things in it, and, and I agree. That finale with uh, Luke on crate is um, crate. I think so. Great, yeah. yeah, yeah, is amazing. It's beautiful and it's super effective. And um, uh, I just uh, it's the only it's the only of the three movies that I find myself drawn to watch again. Um, you know, uh, Rise of Skywalker is a bunch of fan service thrown together as a movie, and uh, you know, Force Awakens, it is what it is. You know, we're all very excited to have those characters back in our lives, and there's some nice moments. But actually, I guess the real my favorite of the sequels is Disney's Rise of the Resistance, the <laughs> theme park attraction at uh, Disneyland and Disney World, which is spectacular. I have yeah. still not been to the Star Wars section of Disneyland. I mean, Galaxy's Edge, not the Star Wars that's section. That's what I'm saying. No, I know what I'm calling it. You know, it does never be. A, you know what? That's the thing that kills me about Star Trek being a second class. Isn't it? There'll never be a Star Trek theme park or a Star Trek. 
I mean, there was the, the you know, the, the hotel the hotel in Vegas, which but, was cool. Yeah. But they'll never yeah. be like a galaxy's edge of Star Trek. No, no. You know, because there's always a barrier there. <laughs> there's a very of past. <laughs> and you do, you got, you know, Esper powers. Yeah. Um, Although I okay. got to admit, I, I finally made it to Batu uh, last month for my, my, the first time, and I mm-hmm. thought it was wonderful. It was a really, I was really impressed. Uh, it was better than I thought it was going to be, and and uh, they they did an outstanding job creating this immersive environment. But my, not my, as authentic as uh, my son's bar mitzvah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's well. I was gonna say, I, I, my dream would be that someday they reskin it for original trilogy uh, because I'm just I just don't connect with the sequel trilogy era. I mean, you know, look, I don't know what to believe anymore because you know fake news and you know, people say you know it was um, Alan Horn's decision or Kathleen Kennedy's decision that they were going to make it the original, and they said no, it's got to be the sequels because that's what we're promoting. I don't know what the truth is, so I, I I'm not gonna lay blame. What a stupid decision. You know, not only because the original is so iconic and so beloved, um, but also because now the heart of the Star Wars franchise, Mandalorian, are all set in that era. So it's like I was at Disney last week, last month also, and you know had a great time. But it's like it almost feels like the sequels are more dated than anything else in that universe. Well, the, the one explanation that I heard that makes sense for me as to why they said it in the sequel era is that if you said it in the original trilogy era, you can't put anything in there beyond that because it would mm. be in the future. Right. So by setting it in the, the farthest future time period, you can put anything from any previous era in there and it, would be, and it wouldn't break the, the illusion. So that yeah, kind of makes, that makes sense to me. But I, I, don't, I don't like it. I like the original trilogy. What can I say? And I those wanna, are the characters you want to see walking yeah. around the park. You want to see original stormtroopers. You want to see Darth Vader. Yeah. You want to see, you know, Boba Fett. Uh, yeah. You want, you want, you want to see, uh, you know, all that stuff. You want to see Shuttle Tidarium, and you don't want to see this other stuff because I want to see that Ralph McQuarrie. You know, all yeah. due respect to Doug yeah. Chang, I want to see the Ralph McQuarrie stuff. I want to see the good stuff. So well, I, I think I think we're too old and too late. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> although my my son keeps saying, "I'm telling you, within the next four years." They, they're when they when they're going to do the upgrade, they're going to end up turning it back to to the original. They're not. They may not be wrong. I I know. We got to ask Bill George. He won't tell <laughs> us though. But oh, um, but my my son oh, is, my is absolutely convinced. Speaking of Bill George, so this go, my my best friend growing up, uh, Garrett was. We were both members of the Star Wars fan club, and back in uh, back in 1983, he or he entered the Star Wars creativity contest through the fan club, and. He entered in the 3D division. He sculpted a Rancor out of wax. And he ended up winning second place, I think. Second or third place, which was a piece of the Death Star model. And I just realized this last week that Bill George was the judge in that category. (laughs) (laughs) He was Bill Judge. Yes. (laughs) That's a good one. Um, Yeah. No, Bill Bill, Bill has been a frequent guest on our show. What a great guy. Um, And... uh, (laughs) We're and he's one fans. of the wizards behind the uh, Disneyland experiences. Yeah, no, I mean, he was very involved with that uh, um, Rise of Resistance. And you know what else holds up great? Star Tours. Still yeah. great. Still so much fun. Yep. Okay. So now we're going to talk prequels. Um, so uh, I'm going to go to Steve Melching. Uh, what's your favorite of the Star Wars prequels? That's that's a tricky one. I, and I don't hate the prequels the way 
Uh, other people on this people podcast do. too. <laughs> people on this podcast too. Uh, I think there's there's a lot to love in them, uh, in each one of them. Um, the my the easy answer would be Revenge of the Sith, and and I do really like Revenge of the Sith. But I'm I'm gonna say Attack of the Clones, which is often regarded as one of the you know least liked uh, of the Star Wars movies. But I, I'm picking that one because much like the Last Jedi, it surprised me. Um, I, I was not totally enamored of the Phantom Menace when it came out. I remember, uh, I think, Darren, did you see it with us in Westwood? Were you part of that crowd or did you see? Yeah, yep. I know Mark saw it at a different theater. Um, I, I saw it at the National uh, uh, four hours before I left for Cannes to debut Free Enterprise. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I literally went to a screening and then I was on a plane a couple hours later. Couldn't talk about it. Very frustrating. Very frustrating. <laughs> and we saw it at the midnight. I think Darren and I and a, and a group of about 15 or 20 other people uh, saw it in Westwood. Um, but, uh, I, you know, it, it was what it was. It, it has its moments. Uh, so I went into Attack of the Clones not expecting much, but still excited to see a new Star Wars movie. Mm. Um, and, you know, I was, wasn't really that into it for the first half. But then it started to it started to seep in. And, and the whole idea that uh, Palpatine was playing both sides against each other when, when that started to sink in, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. And I, and I really started to like the second half of the movie. Um, hey, so Darren, I'm going to say Attack of the Clones, but I really like Revenge of the Sith. I really like it. Darren, what about you? It's interesting because with retrospect now, I'm kind of thinking that I enjoy the, the setup of the Phantom Menace better now. That, you know, it still has potential to come out good. If you would nor the new movies. Um, <laughs> I just remember the great anticipation for it. Uh, you know, the seeing that uh, seeing that trailer for it. Mm. Uh, you know, several months before it opened, and being incredibly excited because that was a great trailer, an absolute, probably the best trailer I've ever seen in terms of uh, generating excitement over this movie that no one knew what was coming. Um, but, uh, you know, the first shot of the uh, the uh, uh, riders coming out of the fog was amazing. And we're saying, holy cow, we're going to see something completely different in a Star Wars movie. Mm. Turned out that we did, but it wasn't exactly what we thought we wanted. But uh, I think that the, you know, the anticipation over the first movie and, you know, we were standing in line at Toys R Us at midnight uh, <laughs> waiting for the toys to come up. And that was Talk about a lion experience. Yeah, that was an that's why they call it blockbusters. Yeah, that's yeah. that's correct. <laughs> Toy busters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, the whole furor was uh, generated, or fervor. It could be both. Um, the uh, the excitement over that was uh, really, really great. Uh, and of course, you know, anything you see after that much buildup is got a little bit of a letdown. Uh, so uh, I think that in retrospect now, many years later, uh, I think that I, I like the setup better than the resolution next to. So Phantom Menace for me. That's funny because, yeah, I agree. That trailer was so evocative. And you, I remember down spending hours downloading it uh, on the, you know, the slow internet dial-up speeds back then and, and dissecting each shot and wondering like, what the heck is that thing? Or, you know, what is, what are we in for? Yeah.
will not condone a course of action that will lead us to war. A communications disruption can mean only one thing, invasion. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. Begin landing your troops. We haven't much time. The Federation has gone too far. The death toll is catastrophic. Our people are dying, Senator. We must do something quickly. You must contact me. There is something else behind all this, Your Highness. They will kill you if you stay. I can only protect you. I can't fight a war for you. And, and I don't think anything could live up to the anticipation that no. had built for that movie, and, which is why Absolutely. maybe I liked uh, Attack of the Clones because I didn't, it had low expectations going into it. Whereas Revenge of the Sith, I think I had higher expectations again. Okay, right. so we're going to go to the original films now to get. What about you, Mark? Oh, do I know? Yeah. Yeah, um, look, you know what? Here's the thing. <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm not a fan of prequels. I've never liked the prequels. I never will. I, I, my pick is going to be the Clone Wars animated series, which is great. <laughs> and it would not be the Clone Wars animated series had it not been for the prequels. But there's no way I can say I have a fair prequel because I find them all unwatchable. Um, the conditions of the test. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And Kobayashi Maru. I learned that from Star Trek. <laughs> And 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 I, I I can absolutely say that I love the Clone Wars and uh, I and I, I like the um, Gendry Turk. I just saw the Gendry one recently. Gendry. I never I never yeah. seen it. Gendry. 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 Gendry's from Game of Thrones. Jethro right. Van Puttmaker. I never <laughs> seen it before. Um, because uh, because um, uh, um, you know, but it was on it's on Disney Plus, and I watched it, and uh, I really enjoyed it for what it was, and I thought the. Um, the Grievous was the best thing that ever had been done with Grievous. And, uh, but I, I love that. I think the Clone Wars is, I think Clone Wars is great. I'm very excited about Kenobi. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm optimistic. I, you know, obviously one thing about the prequels, I think we all can agree on is Ewan McGregor was great as Obi-Wan. So, um, and Andor, my, I'm really looking forward to Andor also. Oh, Andor is the one I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah. A, because it's Tony Gilroy. Yeah. So he's not going to condescend to the material. It's like going to be, plus he did such a great job on his rewrite of um, Rogue One, which is just so mm -hmm. fantastic. Um, which yeah. we, we don't have uh, Star Wars stories because there's only two. Um, but I would say, obviously, Rogue One, uh, to me, certainly, I love Rogue One. Yeah, I do too. Darren, do you have a favorite Star Wars story? A favorite Star Wars story? You know, those um, two I, anthology I, I thought, films? I, I think Rogue One yeah, is okay, better. Okay, there we go. Okay, so now we're getting the original. So now... You know, yeah. this this uh, we'll see if we have another unanimous, or maybe we don't. Maybe uh, maybe not. So, uh, Steve, what's your favorite original classic trilogy film? Uh, my favorite, and it will be my favorite of all the films, is the first one, Star Wars. It will always be my favorite. I love Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. I think it took the mythology of Star Wars and built on it, and it was a beautiful looking film. Beautiful. The score is terrific. I mean, it's a terrific movie. I love it. But Star Wars was there first and it built that universe and it's a great self-contained story with a beginning, middle and end. And totally uh, legitimate. And everything. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. That's how I feel about The Godfather. I love Godfather, too. Love it. Love it. Love it. But Godfather to me is the better film. But I, I, I will articulate it after we hear what Darren has to say about his favorite <laughs> Star Wars film. 
you know, uh, Steve uh, stole most of my thunder, but I can only add Your blue thunder. that uh, my, uh, my, my favorite will and ever shall be Star Wars. Right. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Stop that ship! I'd forgotten how much I hate space travel. Here they come. They're coming in too fast! The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Um, because... <laughs> You can't build a universe without a strong foundation. And the first movie is the strongest foundation you can possibly have. It has a, a, a amazing world building, uh, wonderful, iconic characters, um, a clear uh, uh, attitude and tone. Um, it is joyous. It is scary. It is uh, it is action packed. It is fun. It is amazing how things, how many uh, juggling balls that Lucas keeps up in the air all at once, yeah. and it's it's it rewrote the rule book on how to make movies in Hollywood, um, and it's it's uh, truly uh, miraculous that it ever got finished and that it was ever made at all. Yeah. Look, I agree with everything you guys have said, 100%. Uh, Star Wars, um, no bloody A, B, C, or D, is phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. Let's, let's but, say it's, it. But my favorite is The Empire Strikes Back. I'm not going to ignore uh, all the things you just said. I just say, <laughs> pound for pound, you know, I just think it's so hard to do a sequel, and particularly to a movie as good as Star Wars, and then to make a movie that is as good, if not better, than Star Wars was an amazing achievement, and to bring all these additional layers to it and these new characters that are so wonderful there was um, only one layer in it yeah. and uh, you know and the one thing we haven't talked about is what do these franchises have in common these magnificent scores you know we have john williams who has not written a bad score for a star wars movie ever even the worst of the star wars movies are elevated by his brilliant music and i i, I certainly listen to the prequel scores a lot more than i watch the movies and then star wars star trek has had the the good fortune to be associated with jerry goldsmith for many years which also elevated um, both the good movies like Star Trek The Motion Picture as well as the bad movies like Nemesis. Um, and uh, he was a gift that kept on giving that helped um, really help that franchise so much in so many ways. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say after that statement that uh, I thought Godfather 2 was better than Godfather. <laughs> Did oh, you? So there. Yes, I, I do. Actually. Really? I think it's I think it's a it's a better crafted movie. And but you got against Al Ruddy. <laughs> I guess he didn't handle it. Uh, nothing because I don't think he had much to do with either of them. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, Where's now Ruddy? where's Ruddy? Where's Ruddy? We need Ruddy. Ruddy. Bring it's me the first Ruddy. Day of production. I'm about to roll camera. I gotta have Al Ruddy. Where is he? Where is I'm he? Dealing with the unions. <laughs> yeah. 
what no, never come on, come on man never, you gotta make the movie bad never has francis coppola uttered those words on his set <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 i mean, I mean I, you just sit there and it's like uh it's like watching some other things on paramount plus you go oh 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 but in the best way in the best well, did, way did you catch uh, george lucas's cameo in uh, the first episode oh god yes mm-hmm. yeah, I, i'm yeah. wondering if he's gonna come back when because he was very involved in the editing yeah. Uh, of, you know, of, of Godfather. It's not fair to say watching the offer is hate watching because it's not hate. It's not it's, hate. It, it's like more like incredulity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's like is this a completely different universe I'm watching? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it sure feels that way. Anyone who's familiar with the story of the making of the Godfather, reading and listening to the kids' days in the picture, and being you know reading all these books about the Godfather and listening to interviews with. Francis Coppola. I mean, this is just another universe. It is, it is, it is Al Ruddy and the multiverse of madness. Because right. clearly, this is completely another universe where all this stuff happened. I'll handle it. I'll handle it. I'll handle Fred it. Roos didn't exist. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And Fre- Gary Fredrickson. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just like, oh, we're, 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 uh, Francis Coppola had no ability to do anything. Without yeah. uh, a, a crutch, without yeah. without, a, <laughs> I mean, oh my god, uh, it's just so funny. I yeah. mean, but I do want to see Matthew Good and Bob Evans on mini. Oh my god, we got to see Kid Stays in the Picture. They got to make Kid Matthew Stays in the Picture with Matthew Good. They got to. It'd be so great, and we're going to do a future episode of Trek's before we cast the uh, uh, the docudrama about the making of uh, motion picture. Absolutely. I've been thinking about that a lot. So we got to find the right guest for that. We should get a <laughs> casting director on that. We should try to get Rod Roddenberry. Oh, yeah. But then I think we should do The Cage. I don't think we should do that motion picture. Motion picture okay. isn't sexy. It should start with the beginning with Star Trek. Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek motion picture is, is the better out. story for in reality. If I were making yeah. a docudrama, I think it's a great story. But I think every the, the one that's more easy to wrap your head around is the idea of the making of the original series. Well, we'll see. We'll see how that. Okay, we should reach out to Rod. We should reach out to Rod and tell him what we're doing (laughs) and see if he wants to do it. Because he would, he would be, that would be, because we haven't, you know, I haven't really asked him about being on the show. I don't want to ask him the same bullshit story that everybody asks him. So tell us, we know you like Knight Rider growing up. You weren't really a fan of Star Trek. You know, your your father was a great guy, but clearly he had problems. I just summed up the hour talking about it. That's right. And so, um, I love Rod to death and I would love to have him on the show, but I want to find, give him a chance to talk about things he hasn't talked about before Yep. rather than having to regurgitate the same tried and true stories. Okay. So now favorite Star Wars merchandise, favorite Star Wars merchandise. Oh gosh. Uh, I'm going to say the, uh, the, the double LP album from the original movie. Uh, that was one of the first things I got. I bought it with my allowance money and uh, I just listened to that damn thing nonstop and, and yeah. stared at the booklet at those little photographs in there. And, and I, I, I just love that score. And, and, the, and at the time, you know, the pre-streaming, pre-home video era, that was the only way to sort of re-experience these movies uh, at home, you know, put on the music and look at pictures. <laughs> but not only that, unlike later on where it had these boring matte finishes on the packaging, that was like a glossy. That was like a glossy packaging. It felt like really classy, right? Yeah. It was like sexy because it yeah. was all glossy and black with that amazing font, that Star Wars font. Right next to Night Fever on the show. Oh, it was so great. <laughs> and 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 then and then you had um, you know, I found out what the Dianaga was because I hadn't gotten the tops trading cards yet. So right. I was like 
Oh, that's what that monster is in the trash compactor. It's a <laughs> Dianaga. Oh, that's so cool. So, I mean, I learned that from the soundtrack album. Yeah. I love that album so much. Although I think I probably played Empire Strikes Back even more. But um, boy, but the Star Wars album was just, I mean, it was spectacular. It may be the first soundtrack I ever bought because even though yeah. I had stolen like Goldfinger and Thunderball and Commercial with Love from my parents, um, I think it was the first one I ever actually bought. Nice. Yep. For sure. Allowance well spent. <laughs> I still have it. Me okay, too. so what about you, Darren? What's your favorite Star Wars merchandise? My favorite Star Wars merchandise is also vinyl, and it is the story Star Wars. Oh, yes, yes, yes. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships, striking from a hidden base, have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. That's good choice. I listened to that probably about three times more than I did the soundtrack album. Because, because you love Roscoe Lee Brown. Of course, of course. <laughs> I did, no. Uh, but uh, look, for someone who um, was... Uh, you know, not able to see the movie 80 times because uh, we weren't made of money and I didn't get to, you know, go off on my own at that age. Having that record, listening to basically the soundtrack of the movie, uh, albeit in mono, um, it was straight to reimagine the film in your mind while you're hearing it. And it, it probably um, helped me appreciate, you know, you know, Ben work and, and certainly along with it, uh, Williams' score. Um, but hearing it all integrated with the dialogue uh, and then learning that it was a very crafty edit to cut it down to, you know, basically uh, uh, 45 minutes. Better than uh, the Super 8 version. <laughs> well, see, that that's related because I think I posted this the other day. I took it from that story of Star Wars album and I... There you go. There's the Star Wars movie viewer. I busted open my uh, my cassette for the Star Wars movie viewer and put it on a roll of Super 8 and and ran that through our family uh, Super 8 projector and suck up sections from the story of Star Wars album to go along with it. Of course, it never worked perfectly, but it was close and it was it's all I had. Um, but it, it's funny how we did so much of the same stuff because I did the exact same thing. I broke open those cassettes, edited them yeah. together in sequence yeah. and put them on a reel and projected them on the family Super 8. Because, <laughs> because that's what we had to do in those days, folks. We had it wasn't on home video yet, at least yeah. legally. Uh, and uh, yeah, I had it. I had it. Of course you did. I got, got it. Look, it's it's these sort of creative ways of getting Star Wars into our life were really educational and, and it really sort of stressed our ability to uh, have technology to, uh, to do it. And it, it's such great memories of working with what we had and uh, trying to get all the enjoyment out of it. Uh, so for that, the story of Star Wars album uh, is absolutely wonderful. And I, I think when I was in grade school, I think I memorized the first 10 minutes of it and I, 
I, I might have, in, you know, some, yeah, and uh, Roscoe Lee Brown going, Plankton and Fish of Camino. That's right. No. Well, see, this, this is before I realized who Roscoe Lee Brown's before. Well, you'd seen Logan's Run by then. I hadn't seen Logan's Run. Oh, you hadn't. Oh. So that was a big surprise. But ah. uh, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, a far away, a great, great adventure, adventure took place. <laughs> now he's doing never, Roscoe Lee Brown. This guy can do uh, never, be, never be erased. Now, let me just add on, just piggyback on Darren's story. I also love the story of Star Wars. I had it on cassette instead of vinyl. Nice. And uh, that summer in 1979, I, I, and this was after having watched the making of Star Wars on, on television, I, I, I was starting to think about making movies. So I... Rather than sync up the cassette to the Super 8 film, I would put in the cassette and then have my Star Wars action figures, my other favorite merchandise, and an assortment of what the Adventure People action figures, which are in the same scale. And I would pretend they were making the movie. So the nice. Star Wars figures were the actors in costume and the Adventure People were the crew members. <laughs> And there was one adventure person that had a beard, and that was George. So he was I'm the director. assistant director David Tomlin. <laughs> so I would stop and start and make little sets and have them uh, pretend they wow. were making the movie. That's wow. pretty cool. <laughs> that, that, that is pretty damn cool. I guess that's one wow. word for it. Uh, <laughs> but, oh, that that's... I just want to say, the, the thing that I didn't like at all from... Star Wars was, I mean, I got him and everything, but I was so frustrated looking at the C-3PO that his stomach wasn't black. Stomach wasn't painted black. It was just oh, all, yeah. all gold. And I, I thought, well, why don't they just make him look like they, like he does in the movie? And so, of course, I had to get my, you know, bottle of, of black mat and paint it myself. So, uh, and, and then, and then get the, you know, red and yellow and blue and paint in the wires um, to make my C-3PO correct. And it was ruined really it. frustrating. I ruined it because I, <laughs> because, because I, the playability of something from Star Wars. So mm. there. I took a Death Squad commander uh, action figure, painted the helmet white and made him a, a rebel fleet trooper. That's exciting. Well, there you go. I've been doing a lot of that with my son lately where we, we, we take like some of the old 10 uh, inch Hasbro uh, Star Wars figures and um, we've been, you know, we did a uh, Cad Bane. We made a Cad Bane and we made a Boba Fett from the uh, TV series because I can only buy him so many sideshows, you know. Yeah. I, I did, you know, $260, $300 a pop. It's like, I can only buy him so many. It's like, you know, it's getting ridiculous. It's like, oh, you know, and they keep putting these things out. It's like, and it's like, okay, I'll get you Ahsoka and a couple of these other, but I'm not, I can't buy everything. And now, and now I know he's such a big Godfather fan. I'm sure he's bugging you for an Al Ruddy action figure. No, but That's we right. did get the Cor Don Corleone. We yeah, got it from Sideshow. Nice. We got the Don Corleone. And then wow. he made me get from like, I guess from Hong Kong or something. We got we got uh, Al Pacino. We got Michael Corleone. He's like, wow. I'm, he's like, I remember after we got Vito, he says, um, he says, Dad, uh, can we get uh, Michael Corleone? I said, oh, they don't make it. I'm like, thank God. And he's like, uh, and he's like, no, I found do. one. I, I, it's like, it's a bootleg. It's like, uh, but you know, the bootlegs are... <laughs> Yeah, so I, we ended up getting the Michael Corleone. So he has this nice little <laughs> section where he has Vito in the chair and behind him is Michael. Oh and he says, you think they make a Jimmy Con? I'm like, I sure hope not. It's like, with like the, we'll get the rollerball action figure and turn it into <laughs> Sonny. It's like, enough with these things. It's like, I wish you weren't so into the Godfather. It's cost me I a mean, fortune. Where, where can you find a Bonacera? To uh, do the, the, yeah, opening, yeah. the opening. Sarah, phone Sarah. <laughs> what did I ever do to make you treat me so disrespectfully? Um, 
It's too bad Ernest You're Borgnine You're already. <laughs> what? Oh. But too bad Ernest Borgnine is in The Godfathers. You can get an Ernest Borgnine action figure. I know he wants a Clemenza. He's like, you think they make a Clemenza? I'm like, no, they don't make a Clemenza. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the problem with the Clemenza action figure is that he wants to do his own dialogue. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid, oh. <laughs> Like, it was Fredo with action chair. It's like, <laughs> I was like, it's like, enough with the side chest. Well, you know, what about my bar mitzvah? Money? That's for college. It's like, stop. I Fredo got with, with tackle box. Yeah, Fredo. Fredo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> with Hail Mary action. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, right. You get this. You got to get an Al Neary. Oh my God! What are we talking? We're talking about Star Wars, not the Godfather. Come on! We're talking about our fandom, and it 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 reaches far and wide. How exciting is it that we're going to see Star Wars on the big screen at the Academy? I, I wonder who's going to be there because I mean, I, everybody, I'm, everyone's going to be there. Everybody's going to be. There. I know. I keep seeing on Facebook all these people that we know who are all going to be there. How can you miss it? You well, can't. I mean, they're early. Easy, easy. If you if you didn't uh, get your tickets in time, so it's sold out, right? Sold out. Of yeah, course, it has to be. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine it wouldn't, but, especially you know, given the time, rumors. Absolutely. The, well, the last time they did this, uh, that as well. But that was during the weekend that they were uh, celebrating ILM, and uh, Marsha Lucas was there. Yeah. And it was truly an incredible time. Uh, well, they usually uh, have people introduce these. I'm really curious who would who's going to introduce the film. Obviously, it's not going to be George. But who, who? It might be. Uh, this is a, a version of the movie that I don't really support. Uh, so I hope, you, I hope you like it. I, I really don't like it anymore. But uh, have fun. Yeah. I don't even remember making this picture. <laughs> trying to say a lot of strange words really fast. You can type this shit, but you can't say it. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting because... You know, Star Wars came at a point where there wasn't a lot of sci-fi, and obviously we've talked in other episodes about it, spawned all this sci-fi, and yet, you know, here it is 45 years later, it's still as vital in the culture, in the zeitgeist, as ever, yeah. you know, with these shows on Disney Plus and everything. In fact, I was at my chiropractor the other day, and he says to me, he says, oh, I really like that Bobby Foot show. I'm like, what? You know, Bobby Foot on Disney. You know, he's like this guy, and I'm like, Boba Fett? Boba Fett? <laughs> Oh, you know, Bobby Foot. It's like, yeah, that Bobby Foot. I mean, it was like, why is he talking? But it's like, it's so mainstream that it was like. Bobby Foot is a better show, even though they didn't get the license. Uh, I I prefer (laughs) it when when he teams up with Gary Stellari. That's the the Hong Kong knockoff action figure. Authentic bounty hunter, Bobby Foot. Bobby Foot. (laughs) Wow. That's hilarious. It was like. There you go. Yeah. So anyway. Um. Uh, I'm really obviously by the time people hear this, they probably will see Kenobi. You know, we'll we'll uh, we'll hope for the best. Um, you know, a lot of expectation, a lot of a lot of big Star Star Wars shows coming our way in the you know Amethyst, Ahsoka. Um, well, I, I hope the I hope the uh, Kenobi show works because as you know, uh, they don't believe it's a good idea to recast main characters. <laughs> I know, and I agree with that. Even though it is a recast, no, it's different character. because. It, it, because they cast a younger, it's casting a young actor to play an old actor. So, you know, uh, uh, ben, what do you think happened in Solo? Okay, but I, what I'm saying is, <laughs> I, I don't believe in recasting. But I think it's different if, like, you're playing old, you know, old Obi Wan Kenobi, young Obi Wan Kenobi. You know, then you cast I do you. Too. You know, I, I do think too. I think Which that's is why fine. that statement was ludicrous. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't think, you know, like you take an, you can't take an iconic character and cast them with some other actor and expect them to, to live up to that performance. Agreed. And they haven't done that yet. <laughs> yeah, right. And look, and I, I look, I mean, but when they do, and, and like certainly Alden, Alden, Eric, you know, it was good. He gave a good performance. The problem I with that movie is great. It's the not him. It's not him. The problem, the problem is not is him. The story. And I do resent the fact that they're trying to put it on his shoulders because absolutely, he, he had nothing to do with the failure of that movie. He was no. terrific. He gave it his all. He was as as, as, as it's as charismatic and as as likable performance as you could expect for somebody playing that it, it, you know Han Solo. Agreed. Uh, but um, that's not the problem with that movie. I'm not a solo hater. Maybe they could have opened up the, the cinematography a few f stops so you could see what was going on <laughs> on screen. But well, then you would absolutely notice that it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, okay. Well, you know, look, there you go. This is about celebrating a love, and so uh, we're going to celebrate some love here. And uh, you know, obviously, a lot of love for Star Wars, a lot of love for Star Trek, two great franchises that taste great together. You got Not your Star really. Wars in my Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, I know people like, why do you cover Star Wars on a Star Trek podcast? You know why? Because we love it. We, You yeah. know, it's the 45th anniversary. And, um, you know, our Star Wars fandom, I think it burns as brightly as our Star Trek fandom. It was as important to us uh, growing up as, as certainly as, as, as our love of Star Trek was. Um, interrelated. They are very much interrelated. They, they, they fed off each other and they nourished each other. And, and what was and, so uh, interesting, sorry. No, go ahead. What was so interesting was when Star Trek lay fallow, mm-hmm. Star Wars was there. And then when Star Wars sort of went away, Star Trek was Star there. Star Trek emerged. Yeah. And now it's this weird time where there's all this Star Trek and all this Star Wars. And yet for all you, for all you kids out there, they're in a symbiont circle. <laughs> yeah so anyway we'll look, it's always great to find an excuse to have steve melching on the show isn't it absolutely <laughs> yeah. i'm always yeah. delighted to come on the trek <laughs> we're we're delighted to have you and um we're, we're really excited about being back at comic-con in a couple of months you know um and we're gonna be yeah, making yes. some announcements i think we're doing another big show this summer which we haven't been able to announce because they haven't announced this yet but when they do, we'll make that announcement. You can probably guess, but um, but we're not going to announce it until they officially announce us. That's right. Because I don't go anywhere I'm not invited. <laughs> For obvious reasons. Just like a vampire. Just like a vampire. <laughs> exactly. Um, and by the way, before we finish, just because this is a show about celebrating the love, how great was Better Call Saul this week? <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. Oh, my it did, it, it, God. It zigged when I thought it was going to zag. Um, uh, yeah, I, I thought Howard. Well, I don't know. Are we talking about spoilers? I won't spoil. Uh, let's it. not give any spoilers. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's not give spoilers. But you know, because who knows? Maybe somebody is not even familiar with the show. But this is yeah. what's great about this. This show is a prequel and a sequel. Yeah. To you know, yeah. it, and, and it does it so effortlessly. It's so it's perfectly amazing. A lot of people could learn from yeah. Vince Gilligan, who is also one of the nicest people on the planet Earth, and a huge, huge Star Trek fan to boot. Huge. Yep. Have we as is Peter Gould? Has Saul basically caught up to better uh, uh, to Breaking Bad at this point? It's very close. Very close. It's, well, there was that graffiti. I think it's within. It's within a month. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely. I mean, definitely, he is teaching, and and uh, you know, um, um, and then you know, uh, uh, 
there's meth being sold and uh, stuff the, is the, going on. The super lab is uh, is built. Is built. So uh, it's definitely about to cross the streams. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, and then we're off to Cinnabon. <laughs> I, I really want to see what happens after that. I, I want to see what happens after Cinnabon. But I want to know what's really going on with Ray Seahorn's character with Kim. Yeah. Oh, I'm so worried for Kim. I'm terribly worried. I know. I know. I know. It's uh, really, I, if she doesn't get an Emmy this this year, and I, I, Steve, you remember the TV Academy, aren't you? Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, it's. I like, am too. Oh, and Darren, you were all members of the TV Academy. She got to get the freaking Emmy this year. Yeah. Yeah. I know what I'm voting for. I don't know. Are you allowed to talk about what we're voting for for TV Academy? You probably are, are you not supposed to divulge your, your votes? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we won't talk about it. But I know what I'm voting for. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. So they uh, I, I'm not in the peer group to vote for actors. So no, uh, me neither. I, I just vote yeah. for series and, and animation. No, series. I get I get to vote for series and writing. Yeah. So yeah. best series and stuff. So I know what well, I'm cool. voting for. So, okay, well, listen, thanks for being here on the Trek Spurs, which this week was the War Spurts, talking about Star Wars for the 45th the, anniversary. The, the Force Spurts. The Force oh, Spurts. That's, that's better. That's good. <laughs> the Force was with us, young Melchior. And uh, I have to say, it's hard to believe 45 years. It's not true. It's impossible. It's 45 years since we saw Star Wars. We're the Obi Wannabes. Well, you actually look like him. If you put on a little, uh, you know, hood, you know, no, nobody yeah. would. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I look like Java, but you look like Obi-Wan. <laughs> Steve looks like he could be a Jedi. He's, I know. he's getting into Qui-Gon. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 I can see you like, you know, you as Obi-Wan, him as Qui-Gon. Yeah. Be, uh, what, what, a, what a wonderful San Diego that'll be when we're all dressed up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I could be Jedi Moshe Berkowitz. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oi, I could be in, in, in the Spaceballs version. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm so excited about uh, Comic-Con. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny here, you know, I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We're doing this silly little show in the midst of all this horror in Ukraine. And of course, you know, we're recording yeah, this here. and having a lot of fun. But, um, you know, this terrible tragedy that happened in Texas, and I don't want to yeah. talk about the politics of it, just the, the immense loss and, and the horror of, of what happened. And these poor parents and uh, siblings and families that have suffered this unimaginable loss. It's just just awful. And, uh, you know, by, by recording, you know, something that gave us joy as, as children, we don't in any way want to diminish this. I know a lot of people, um, you know, the canceling, uh, like uh, premieres, like I think the Orville premiere was today and it canceled the press line and stuff. I don't know if that quite, you know, it's like, but, um, but I think it's just, you know, we've just got to acknowledge it because it's just such a horrendous, horrendous thing that happened again and happens again and keeps happening. And, um, you know, wiser people than us will hopefully figure out what to do about this because uh, it just can't keep happening. I mean, the, 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 the onion had the best, um, take on it you know i mean of all the things of all the, the deep thinkers you know the onion basically ran the same headline with different pictures of every time this has happened in the last five years and it's happened you know way too many times so anyway we have to acknowledge i'm sure you know these, these, these poor kids and their families it's awful so on that note i want to thank everyone for joining us here at the trek i hope if you're 
fans of the podcast, you'll rate us five stars on whatever platform you listen to. Uh, I think you can do it on Apple. I see on Spotify also you can rate us. Uh, you can follow us on social media at Inglorious Trek or Inglorious Trek at Instagram. We want to thank uh, the wonderful Mark Rivera who uh, we sprang this on at the last second. Yeah, we're going to do one of the Star Wars for the 45th anniversary, the day before hey, the uh, show's supposed to air. Good luck. Can you mix it? <laughs> so we're really sorry. It was supposed to be a Harold Livingston tribute, but we're like, Darren says, hey, how about doing, uh, you know, one of the Star Wars tribute it's, to the anniversary? It's the week. 45 isn't going to come again. And I'm like, uh, you think you could get Steve Melchin? I know him. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's, fortunately, Steve was able to I do know it. people. Because, you know, Steve's a little busy. Steve's a, you know, a big producer on a big TV show coming out and doesn't have a lot of time on his hands, but he made time for us. He made time. He made the t- if he had the time. So uh, we're very lucky for, for that. And thank you, Steve. And uh, we hope you'll join us again next week uh, uh, and every Friday for another episode of Inglorious Trexperts. And until then, on behalf of Steve, Darren, and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking ingloriously, of course. And may the force with you. Always. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.